Can you give me your name? Keolu Fox. I think you kind of come to embody your name. My name means the steadfast one or the keeper of the faith, or at least I'm told that. Yeah, like I'm a pretty stubborn person, so it could also mean that. So Keolu is not going to give up when he sees a problem. A postdoctoral fellow at UCSD, he wants to change the way we treat the study of DNA, especially the DNA of indigenous and underrepresented minorities. If we don't act now, then someone else will, and they will control our identity, our access to resources, and many other things. This is Rad Scientist. Where the scientist becomes a subject. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Keolu Fox exudes cool. He has a large build and long curly hair that sits under a baseball cap, and he is one of a very small number of indigenous geneticists. My family is originally from Hilo, Hawaii, but I have lived in Alaska, California, Washington, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. That's a lot of places. Sure is. It's the diaspora. Most people's identity become really complicated. Because I'm part of this whole Hawaiian diaspora, Hawaiian people who haven't necessarily grown up their whole life in Hawaii, you start to soak up or absorb different cultures throughout the course of your lifetime. Keolu spent most of his teenage years in Maryland. I grew up in PG County, which is uh, don't forget your bulletproof vest, you know, kind of thing. He's referring to Prince George's County, close to D.C., which experienced consistently high rates of gun violence around that time. But aside from the crime, Keulu says that living in PG was a formative experience. He lived in a primarily African-American neighborhood, and he started to see a parallel between their history and the history of Native Hawaiians. We're talking about communities of people whose histories have been almost erased through colonialism. So sort of recombining those two histories solidified my focus on the interface of science and activism. Keulu went to college at the University of Maryland, and he had an unlikely classmate. So most people do not go to college at the same time as their mom. But coming from a single parent home, we kind of made things work and we supported each other in some kind of untraditional ways. But it was really productive and it was cool to, you know, for both of us to get our undergraduate degrees together. Were you guys ever like in the same class? Hell no. Hell no. It wasn't because they avoided it, I think, but they were studying different things. His mom was getting a degree in computer science and Keolu in anthropology. I actually ended up in anthropology kind of serendipitously. I was a slacker, so I had to register late. And these were some of the classes that were available. 
and one of them was a methods in theory and biological anthropology, and it was with someone named Dr. Fatima Jackson, and she had a profound impact on my trajectory as a scientist because she was a black Muslim female PhD holding lab operating scientist, and I had never seen anything like that. So he asked to visit the lab. I remember going into her lab for the first time and everyone seemed happy. They were listening to Michael Jackson. And I was like, this is a place where I can work and be productive. And that's exactly what happened. Michael Jackson playing in the Jackson lab. All right. So Keolu did his honors thesis in her lab. And Dr. Jackson helped him get an internship at the NIH, working at the National Human Genome Research Institute. That internship turned into a fellowship. And then from there, it was kind of a wrap. Keolu was now a geneticist. At the NIH, he worked under Ed Ramos, one of the scientists who lobbied for the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act. It's a law passed in 2008 that prohibits insurance companies from discriminating based on genetic information. Kind of the perfect mentor, given Keolu's interests. And a lot of the projects we focused on catered towards this sort of recombination of genomic technologies and health disparities. As Keolu became more immersed in genetics research, it became clear that there were many disparities when it came to the benefits that sprang forth from the genetics revolution. You know, 95% of clinical trials focus on individuals of European ancestry. Whose genomes are we sequencing? Whose genomes compose the reference in which we compare every other genome to? So when you kind of deconstruct those ideas, you start to realize who and what precision medicine and, you know, predictive and preventative medicine, who are they serving? When most genetic studies are done using Caucasian DNA, No surprise here, but we only learn about genetic causes of Caucasian diseases. And then we make treatments for predominantly Caucasian people so that the health disparities which already exist further widen. And Keolu wants to combat this issue. One way he does that is by focusing his genetic research on underrepresented communities. In graduate school, he studied genetic variation behind blood type differences in African-American populations. And as a postdoc, he's juggling multiple projects, some that focus specifically on the link between genetics and disease for Pacific Islanders. One such project targets a nasty bacterial infection, one which is thought to have arrived in the Pacific Islands as a result of colonization, trade, and migration. There's no other way to put this, but Hansen's disease is a, is a, a gruesome disease. You may have heard of Hansen's disease referred to by its more common name, leprosy. It's uh, really humbling to see the effects of, of a bacteria and what something that is a ne- neglected tropical disease can do to people. Hansen's disease arrived on Hawaii in the early 1800s. Islanders called it maipake, which translates to the Chinese sickness, But it could have come from any number of countries harboring the leprosy bacteria. The origin is still unknown. We are attempting to sort of piece together the population genetics of leprosy itself. So comparing it to other sort of medieval and ancient strains from Europe and Asia and understanding where it came from. For Keolu, 
It's important to understand the history of diseases that wiped out so many colonialized people. And he wants to know what that means now for their genetic diversity and for their health. On top of his own research, he has goals for the way that genetics research is conducted these days. There are many reasons why most DNA sequenced is of Caucasian origin. And one big reason is trust, a trust that has been broken in the past. There's a story a lot of people point to, a cautionary tale. The Havasupi tribe, a small community living in the Grand Canyon, donated their blood for DNA testing with the hope of figuring out why so many developed diabetes. But without their knowledge, scientists use those samples for other studies, studies on inbreeding and studies about their origins. The Havasupi felt violated, and they fought for years to recover their samples and halt further studies. Other native populations saw this as an example of what can happen when you give your genetic data away. But then there are hopeful stories. A Maori family who had crazy high rates of gastric cancer reached out to local scientists. Clear guidelines about use of their DNA were laid out and adhered to. And the scientists found the gene behind the premature deaths in their family. The scientists and the Maori family were authors on the Nature paper. And the gene ended up being involved in other cancers too. It's clear that genetic studies can lead to health breakthroughs. So when scientists disrespect the wishes of Native communities, we all lose. I would prefer if investigators allowed those communities to tell them about what types of health disparities exist or the origin questions they would like to have answered. That's a way to conduct culturally sustainable research that is sort of grounded in true partnerships. Towards that end, Keulu and a few other indigenous scientists created an organization to help build those partnerships. Indigenomics was inspired by a collaboration or kind of small journal club that we used to have over lunch at University of Washington with my two buddies, Joe and Katrina. We were just kind of tired of reading population genetics papers that didn't focus on our communities, so we would select papers that sort of privileged population genetics of diverse communities. And that sort of blossomed into our interests in creating a consultation resource for indigenous communities that are interested in self-governance and democratization of those technologies. And we travel all over the place, Aotearoa, New Zealand. We go to Navajo Nation, Cheyenne River. So anywhere where there's indigenous people that need a hand, we are trying to create an equitable relationship for them so that they can have partnerships that prioritize their interests in the technology and self-governance of that data. When visiting indigenous communities and emphasizing the importance of owning and controlling one's genetic data, he sometimes runs into a problem around language and culture. Keulu was speaking at a summer genomics course for indigenous students. We were discussing this idea of indigenous data sovereignty, that is creating self-governance over our genome sequence data. And I had used the word control. And one of the students told me, Keolu, we don't use the word control in Indian country. And I thought that was really curious. And I, and I uh, told that student that 
we're in a classroom speaking English. So it's clear that we're not speaking in our indigenous tongues or languages and that we have to play the game. We have to sequence our genomes before they do, meaning these large institutions that are going to leverage that information in terms of capitalism and making money. And that's kind of where my vantage point is now. Let's think about 23andMe and their model. They have a direct-to-consumer resource. You pay $150, you spit in the tube. They return a glossy interface to you, but they store your 500,000 SNP locations. They tell you a few actionable medical things that they're allowed to, and they speculate on you being 2.3% Neanderthal or something like that. Meanwhile, that same information is aggregated into a meta-analysis and likely used and distributed to pharmaceutical companies so that they can become the $1.5 billion company that they are today. So that money is the result of human genetic variation. That variation is worth a lot of money. The same model sort of exists for Amazon.com, Facebook, and Google. Analytics and those numbers are worth a lot of money. So why are we giving them away for $150? Why aren't we creating a resource in our own communities so that if people want to analyze your information, they have to pay to play? We are going to take a short break. After the break, Keulu gets personal about his experience in the science world. This whole journey in pursuing the truth in science is a roller coaster ride, and you can't always be on top. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda. Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. In some ways, Keulu has had a typical journey as a scientist, experiencing the highs of discovery and the lows of someone else beating you to the punch. One of the lowest points in my scientific career is getting scooped, knowing that you've worked so hard on a project only to find out that someone did it equally as good or better and published in a sort of higher quality journal is never a good feeling. But some of his experiences are unique to being a minority in science. I remember um, I got a, a 10, which is a perfect score on my F31. It's a big grant from the NIH. Nobody gets a 10. I'll probably never get a 10 ever again <laughs> in my life, right? And I remember somehow one of my colleagues found out that I got a 10. And he told me, I wish I could have borrowed your brownness for my resubmission. You know, you're, you, you, you start to think, Maybe I only got a 10 because 
uh, they're filling some kind of minority action plan, you know, or maybe you're only there to fulfill some diversity or equity requirement, but that's not the case at all. As a minority scientist, he is called on to take part in diversity initiatives, which he enjoys doing, but what others forget is that these extra commitments add to the already heavy workload of a scientist. The amount of work we have to do when we do public-facing work, these things take time out of our schedule so that we can train the next generation of scientists in a culturally sustainable way. Well, if you're doing that, you're not on the bench, you're not writing code, you're not writing papers, and you're not writing grants. So balancing a lot of those things that we're passionate about in terms of equity is really hard. Balancing a lot of things is something that Keolu is very familiar with, and he's done it well. I feel like he has like 10 projects going at once. I've had the fortune of having a few projects funded. Now we have to do them. Now we have to generate data, analyze it, design figures, piece together a narrative or a story that's supported by the data and submit that to journals with the hopes of getting a job by 2020. I will repeat, I want a job by 2020. If anyone's listening, I need a job. Get this guy a job. Seriously, you would have the opportunity to work with a conscientious scientist who wants to use genomics for the greater good. And he's the kind of guy who has a 10-year plan. In 10 years, I hope that I am operating as a director of my own genomics institute where we're conducting culturally sustainable research. I hope that I am working on interesting scientific questions in a culturally sustainable way that have impact in communities that I care about. If you've ever wondered why it is so incredibly important to have diverse voices in science, Keulu is a shining example. We like to think that science is unbiased and benefits or harms all equally. But what we decide to study and how we conduct our research can introduce bias at many steps. In the field of genetics, we risk further stratifying our society into those who have access to new genetic treatments and those who are left behind. I am definitely afraid of this kind of brave new world of health disparities. If you look at where we are right now with healthcare, it just makes sense that once you start providing people access to gene therapy and that access is predicated on healthcare, that in turn will result in a new form of social stratification. And that's a dangerous idea. Science can be a force for good and a force for bad. It can be depressing to imagine how amazing discoveries can lead us to more dystopian futures. But in this brave new world, I feel slightly braver with the assurance that someone like Keulu is a scientist. And now for our moment of Xenopus, freestyling in a library study room featuring Keulu Fox.
Usually I like to have a beat, but I'm a roll and do it a cappella. Most of these homies aren't at work today. They went to the second day of Coachella, but it's rubbish. I'm not going to see Beyonce with the hundred dancers, but it could be cool. I don't even have the answers. That's terrible. Rad Scientist is produced and written by me, Margot Wall. Our theme guitar riff is by Grant Fisher, logo by Kyle Fisher, no relation. Other music for this episode was by Beat Gorilla, Cy Dan, Dr. Dream Chip, 8Tana77, Loop Dealer, Tittables, A Little Bit Drunk Guy, and Ari De Niro. At KPBS, Emily Jankowski is technical director, Kinsey Moreland is podcast coordinator, Lisa Jane Morissette is operations manager, and John Decker is director of programming. This program is made possible in part by the KPBS Explore Local Content Fund. If you like this episode, please review us on iTunes. It helps other people see the podcast. And of course, stay rad. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.